Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we are recording with Mr. Ray McGovern, and we were just talking about Legacy of Ashes over his shoulder. I'm on a bit of a CIA tear right now. I'm rereading that. I just finished for the first time The Devil's Chessboard and um, uh, Family of Secrets, and um, and I just started a book about a uh, Wild Bill or uh, William Wild William uh, William Donovan. But Mr. McGovern, please introduce yourself to my audience and tell them who you are. Sure. Well, Tommy, I'm glad to be with you today. I go back a ways. Uh, majored in Russian in college uh, because I was sick and tired of French and. And I needed a modern foreign language. And long story short, I decided to <laughs> specialize in Russia. So I would, I've been watching Russian leaders now, off and on, almost always oh, on, <laughs> for several decades, okay? So that gives me a little bit of experience. Um, not enough experience to have anticipated what Putin did in invading Ukraine, I would confess. I thought he could achieve his aims without an invasion. I was wrong. I think I've figured out why I was wrong, and I was almost right, but almost doesn't count in my work. So I'd like to explain that. Uh, let's see what else. I was commissioned in the Army, Army and Army Infantry Intelligence. I uh, reported to active duty at Fort Benning, Georgia, the Army Infantry uh, School. And that was November 3rd, 1962. And it was a little bizarre because a lot of us were sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, we heard about these new weapons like uh, a grenade launcher. Wow. You know, so we wanted to be trained on that, right? So that we could lead our troops. There weren't any. Huh. There weren't any weapons at all. <laughs> so, so we asked the uh, the NCOs, "Where are weapons?" And they said, "They're all down in Key West. They're already going to Cuba." Now that was my introduction as a army infantry infantry intelligence officer. That's how close we were to blowing the world up. It almost happened, by the way. Among the other things that we did not know, you know, uh, CIA and the Defense Intelligence Agency take great pride in saying, ah, we discovered those missiles in Cuba. <laughs> yeah, they discovered them after they were not only deployed to Cuba, but after they were armed, what does armed mean? Nuclear they had warhead. their warheads on them, right? So if Kennedy was not as astute a politician as he was, uh, if it were not helped by the likes of 
the ambassador, just recently former ambassador to the Soviet Union, Llewellyn Thompson, who knew Russia just as well as George Kennan knew Russia. Uh, he insisted, by the way, that Thompson had attend all the meetings, including Joint Chiefs of Staff meet every meeting, you know, to figure out what's going on. Anyhow, long story short, you and I, Tommy, uh, can talk now uh, because we're still alive. Uh, our children and grandchildren, if you have any, um, are probably going to live at least as long as the climate warming doesn't do us in, unless, and I say this, I mean, I can't believe that I have to say this. Unless the people who think they can bait Putin to the point of tempting him to use nuclear weapons in this fracas against in Ukraine, unless they succeed in dragging Biden and saying, President Biden, we're going to we're going to lose the midterms for sure in November if you don't appear strong. So let's let's do that. No fly zone. Let's put those. In other words, if these crazies persuade Biden for whatever reason to reverse his rather cautious stance on getting involved in a war with Russia, well, then you don't have to worry about uh, global warming anymore. Uh, the more so, and I just add this, this thought here. It's not a thought. It's a fact. As a matter of fact, I'm going to identify everything that's speculation on my part as speculation on my part, okay? What I say will be factually based. This fact is very disturbing. Something I learned just maybe two months ago. The Russian early warning system against nuclear attack is not half as good as ours. What do I mean by that? We had these really fancy satellites. I mean, it's a it's a tribute to technology. They can they can find the launch of a nuclear weapon, nuclear weapon, nuclear missile, anywhere in the world, like that. Find out where it's coming from. Russians can't do that. They don't have those kinds of satellites. What they have, well, what they have is limited coverage of the world. They home in, of course, on our Midwest, where all our ICBMs are. But how about the oceans? How about the seas? They can't cover the seas. And there was an example back in 1995 where there was a launch of a, of a missile uh, in Norway. They couldn't tell, those, those Russian uh, generals, they couldn't tell if that was the real thing or not. 1995, okay? Relations with the Yeltsin regime since he was giving us every everything we wanted, we're very good, okay? So that was that was a cooling effect here. Probably they're not gonna attack. The other thing was they had did have our ACBMs monitored. There was no sign at all that they were ready to be fired, but they didn't know where the hell our sea launch ballistic missiles were on a submarines as close as the North Atlantic. They haven't improved that system since. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that Putin has eight minutes tops. Well, the Russians have eight minutes. I mean, they have to detect it and identify it and then tell Putin, well, maybe he's got force. In other words, it's almost certain that Putin has devolved responsibility to fire these awful things to field units, so to speak, 
just automatically uh, he can't he can't pause to ruminate and say, well, I, I've got two of these eight seconds. Let me see. No, no. So that's how labile is. Well, the Germans have this wonderful word, labile. It means, it means precarious, but in, in spades. That's how labile the situation is. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure that Biden even knows about it because the Pentagon has been dismissive of of uh, of doing things to attenuate that danger to for example to letting the russians know that we can know a lot more than they can and we realize that and so blah 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 blah. in other words we're not even talking to one another now that's the real danger i'll stop there for the nonce no it's um yeah it's uh yeah slbm's that uh that close yeah he has a couple of minutes which Kind of like Dr. Strangelove, well, if it would only make sense that he would have devolved power, like wing attack plan R. You got to have in the case of a decapitation strike or a timely response, retaliation, he would have had to devolve it. And 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 back to the Cuban Missile Crisis, and didn't they not find out till like many years later, I want to say decades later, that they were armed? Then we, we didn't know that until like the 90s, correct? That's correct. So yeah. it's sort of an essential piece of information. A little, a little bit, a little bit, a little, a little essential. It's, uh, yeah, we were playing whack-a-mole and it wasn't until decades later we found out some of the moles had nitroglycerin in them. And it was like, it could have gone. And if Curtis LeMay had his way, yeah, we'd all be dead right now because they want to go in and hammer it. That's true. And uh, there was a, uh, a Soviet naval captain. Mm-hmm. His name was Arkhipov. And those who have read uh, Daniel Ellsberg's book, The Doomsday Machine, mm-hmm. has a nice little uh, snippet in half a chapter on what happened. And very simply, it was that uh, these submarines were out of uh, contact with Moscow. Uh, their orders were never to fire their nuclear torpedoes without explicit orders from Moscow. But they were convinced since they were getting depth charges all over the, the place and there was no word from Moscow for a week, they, they were convinced, oops, we had lost. And so we might as well get rid of these things, use them or lose them. And they had in their sights several U.S. ships right there in the Caribbean. And they were going to do, do away with them through nuclear torpedoes. The only problem was these two captains had to get the permission of the political naval captain. Now, we frown, frown at the, the Russians, the way the party controlled everything. Well, in this case, thank God the party controlled things, because this guy, Arshipov, says. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Do you have instructions from Moscow? And they said, no, no, but if you don't fire. And they didn't fire. They surfaced and found out, whoa, you know, the thing was over, but it was a peaceful ending. Now, what would have happened if several of our ships in that area had been blown up by by, um, by atomic uh, torpedoes at that point? 
Well, we kind of suspect we know what would happen. So lots of these things, these accidents are almost accidents or false warnings. They happen and they're in real life. And so we have to guard against them as well as some crazy uh, president or some crazy uh, head of uh, strategic arms. Uh, the what SAC is what they used to call it. Now they call it a STRATCOM. Uh, you know, that that admiral who who uh, who commands STRATCOM now is on written record as saying, you know, we may have to use these small nukes. It wouldn't be so bad. You know, we well, you know, that's crazy. That's really crazy. You get us all very dead or mostly dead. Yeah, there's nothing more insane than them trying to shift the possibility and acceptance of limited nuclear exchange into the Overton window of public discourse. There's not, I've seen nothing more insane in my short 31 year old, 31 year life than the idea. No, I mean, yeah, sure. A one kiloton tech nuke, all things considered. No, that's not the end of the world. It doesn't stop with that though. It very, very quickly goes from you and I are stepping outside and we're fighting. The second I pull out a knife, you, you you no longer have a reason to not pull out your gun and I no longer have a reason to not pull out my shotgun and you no longer have it very quickly it goes up because once that once that facade of we will not go nuclear falls away well if we have tech nukes and our tech nukes are better than the Russians tech nukes we clearly are not showing restraint so why would Russia show any restraint why would they lose face or lose the war no, they would just kick those those big old thermonuclear megaton monsters in there. And then we would have to. And what a surprise, it's the end of the world. Yeah, it's crazy, as you say, Tommy, even to discuss this thing as, as an option. And uh, I think uh, both sides are at the very top, at the presidential level, that is Putin and Biden. They're aware of that. Um, Biden... Uh, I've had some very close friends uh, testify that they dealt with Biden for decades. Larry Wilkerson, for example, who was the assistant to Colin Powell for a long time. And Larry is convinced that Biden has learned what the power of these nuclear weapons is, and that accounts for his caution here. Uh, Putin? Well, you know, he knows too, but he raised it first, okay? He raised it first. And I interpret that as a sign, uh, you know, look, if, I, if you put my back against the wall, we have these nuclear weapons. Just don't forget. Yeah. That's kind of, that's, that's worse than uh, not raising it at all. Now, do you see, because... I don't know. I t- for better or worse, I I tend to I I look at the the military industrial complex, the quote unquote deep state, the senior executive service, the Pentagon, that kind of entrenched power, the swamp. It for better or worse is this this massive blob that the president really is just kind of a figurehead for, be it a guy they support or be it a guy they get rid of, like a Kennedy or a Trump or something. That being said. Do you do you really see Biden as being in charge? Because to me, it's it's very not sure. No, I didn't vote for him. He's not my guy. But this isn't some low hanging fruit attack on him. I mean, he really doesn't seem all there. And if I can see that a 31 year old at a distance, I can only imagine some well qualified intelligence 
officials or generals or people in stratcom i can only imagine they see that do you think that there is anything official or unofficial going on to where they're not going to fire if he says they're going to fire is that too idyllic of me or is that too pessimistic of me to believe that there is a detached uh, deep state that kind of does what it wants anyway but it doesn't really seem like maybe i'm giving us too much credit but i just I don't see the the guys in the NORAD bunkers and behind the B2 spirits just walking off the cliff. D- d- is that making any sense? Do you, do you think there's any truth to that? There is maybe a hesitance or a resistance or uh, they won't give the go code. A lot of this, uh, a lot of this depends on personalities. Uh, look at the head of Stratcom right now. A little bit unhinged to be talking about small nuclear weapons. Um, the former head of uh, the NATO military setup, what's his name? That little guy, uh, Stavridis, who's just a, now a big professor or something. He said, Oh, yeah, we'll have a nuclear war with China in five, 10 years. Uh, I, you know, I wrote a book about it. Hello. But I think that you're right. Uh, Tommy, I think they are sort of the minority um, crazies. Uh, Now, I should say that I worked for the CIA for 27 years, and there are two CIAs. The one where I worked, which was the analysis division, which was the reason that Truman set up the CIA. He said he wanted to know what was going on in the world. Not from the army, who always made the Soviet threat to be really three times as much as it was. And not from the State Department. He didn't want any departmental intelligence. He wanted what he called untreated intelligence. He wanted some central, central intelligence agency to report directly to him, okay? Not to the state, not to the, to the Pentagon, and tell them like it is. Now, that's what attracted me to the CIA when I was still in college. That's why I signed up, so to speak, after I did my two years of active duty as an Army Infantry Intelligence Officer. And I was able to do that for almost the entire 27 years that I worked there. Uh, The other part of the agency that sort of grew like Topsy, as you know from reading books, um, was instituted because people came home from World War II. Now, I have to admit, I was alive for all of World War II. I was real little, (laughs) but I was born a week before Nazi tanks rolled into Poland, okay? So I've been around and I, you know, I absorbed the whole thing as a very young person. So after World War II, the OSS, the uh, predecessor of the CIA, uh, the Office of Strategic Services, tell me they were incredible folks. I mean, they'd jump in behind army lines that they'd overthrow governments. And, you know, it was really, these guys were very courageous people. Now, they came back after the war, 1945, 1946, and uh, they got lots of applause. And then they said, well, you want us to hang around? I mean, like, uh, or should we go back to our law firms, our corporations, go back to academia? 
Now, George Kennan and other high officials at that time said, no, 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 no. You got to stay because the Russians can overthrow governments. We need to be overthrown. We need to be able to overthrow governments too. The Russians do this and that. We need, we need you guys. So stay around. And then the question presented itself. I guess we can't have a, an agency for overthrowing governments. That doesn't sound really, really good. Uh, ah, I got it. Let's put them in with the CIA. Now, as I mentioned before, that was not Truman's intent. He wanted something quite different. And once you put the operators in with the analysts, there is the danger that what the operators are trying to do will color the analysis. Happened in Afghanistan. When we gave them stingers, those, those uh, Islamic, when we gave them stingers, uh, people in the analysis part were involved in supporting the war, right? And so they bought, the, oh, we shot down 50, 50 Soviet aircraft yesterday. Well, it's all BS. They're getting that from the field. They're getting that from the operation. So in my day, there were turnstiles on every floor, seven floors, right? And a basement. And we analysts could not go over to where the operational officers were, and they could not come through the stern style to us, except if they had a special thing on their badge, okay? Now, there were, there were problems with that, but we could always call them up on a secure phone. It was far, far better to keep the two separate. Sort of like in a bank, you keep your investment folks uh, separate, right? Um, and now it's all joined together. And now I'm afraid that it's not as apolitical. It's not as acutely sensitive to real, real situations in the world. Uh, so anyhow, what I'm saying here is that I was part of the CIA, but this one, not this one. Now, this one, the operational part, is part of what I call the Mickey Mat. Okay. You call, you call about... <laughs> You mentioned the military-industrial complex, right? Well, that's what Eisenhower warned about. Sixty. What's that? It's Sixty years ago. Yeah, January seventeenth, nineteen sixty. Yeah. Now he warned that uh, this tremendous force would gain power, and uh, whether they wanted it or not, they would create such power that they would endanger our democracy. Big deal, right? Okay. Now, they have grown like Topsy. It's not the Mick anymore. It's the Mickey Mat. If your listeners or watchers have a pen and a pencil, if they're still, you know, they're not obsolete, take this down. Mickey Mat. It rhymes with Mickey Mouse, sort of, all right? Now, military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, media, academia, think tank complex. That embraces pretty much the whole nine yards. Like, what did I say media for? Because media is the linchpin. Yeah. And media itself, of course, is owned and operated by the rest of the Mickey Man. So what we're getting, for example, on Ukraine 
is just as bad as what we got before Iraq. And we veteran intelligence professionals for sanity warned before Iraq. Uh, for two months, we told President Bush, uh, look, this is really crazy. It's going to end up in a catastrophe for everyone. And we couldn't get through. We did three memos to him, assuming, as we had to, that he was being led by the nose by people like Cheney and, and others uh, to no avail. So what I'm saying here is that the analysis is still really important. Uh, but when we talk about the Mickey Man, yeah, uh, Joe Biden would not be president without the full support. And that means lots of money from the PACs of the Mickey Man. He knows he's not going to be reelected <laughs> without that. And he knows that with these congressional um, uh, elections coming up in November, that Money is what's going to prevent the Democrats from losing untold votes. So, yeah. Now, is Biden smart enough or compass enough to not let these forces tool around with small nuclear weapons? We just have to pray about that. I mean, I don't know. Uh, he doesn't seem to be fully in control. And his instincts seem to be to hate, 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 you know. Hate is never a good motivation. Hate sort of does something to your brain. And when he, when he talks about uh, Putin needing to be removed, not, I don't think anybody has noticed this. But um, the day before, the Russians let the word out about Putin, <laughs> Putin a hunter's laptop. Not only the scurrilous stuff that Hunter is shown to do in that laptop, but the fact that he was involved in financing these biological research facilities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now uh, Biden's human. He's a dad, and he likes sure. his. Son. We know that. So maybe I'm spec. This speculation. <laughs> so maybe. Uh, he decided, you know, this guy is terrible. This, this guy, Pucci, is trying to denigrate my son, getting him involved in biological warfare. And so he let loose with that final sentence, nine words, nine words that really do not help in any way the situation in Ukraine. So I'll stop there for a while. Uh, I just thought I'd give you my Mickey Matt thing because you mentioned Eisenhower. Oh, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say on that is that when Eisenhower mentioned this, he said there is an antidote to this. The antidote is a well-informed well, citizenry. Yeah, yeah. Well-informed. We ain't got that. Citizenry. Yeah. Okay. And the reason we ain't got that is because of the media and the media being controlled by the rest of the Mickey Man. Yeah, it's the it's the give a man a fish or teach a man a fish. A well-informed populace. People, that's, that's, why I, that's why I try to, I listen to an audio book a week. That's why I did. I've only started. I only started doing it at at twenty nine. Is because my logic is is the. I think of the General Mattis quote: "If you have not read hundreds of nonfiction books by the time you're an adult, you're functionally illiterate." And then his other quote: "Intuition is subconscious pattern recognition. Nothing more, nothing less." So I married the two quotes, and mm -hmm. my logic is: if I read enough books, I will have pattern recognition enough to learn from the history and not repeat it. That's my little logic, but. Yeah, no, what, what happens when you do go against making that? And I, I do agree. I don't think it's just the military-industrial complex. I think you'd have to throw in P somewhere because it would be 
pharma. I think it's probably it's a black hole. It's sucked in finance. It's it is it is the machine. It is it is coalesced into an event horizon of power and influence. And I mean, didn't Kennedy try to remove that operations aspect from the CIA? Didn't he try to do that and and shift it back to like JSOC? And then Kennedy, you know, didn't Kennedy, Kennedy try to do that? Yeah, he threatened to um, splinter it into the yeah thousand pieces, scatter it into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the wind. Uh, that was uh, that was sort of the uh, cry for war as far as Alan Dulles was concerned. Uh-huh. And um, people know this uh, where I stand on on the JFK assassination. It was John Kennedy that got me down to Washington. You know, I was a senior in college when he said, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Now, that didn't sound hokey at the time. That didn't sound trite or obsolete or even political because the Russians were really, really threatening us then. I mean, it's a real threat. Whose fault it was? Well, we can we can go back in history about that. It's both, okay? But there was a real threat there. So uh, Kennedy was a guy who brought me down, and many of my contemporaries, I mean, uh, were brought down there to Washington. Now, uh, he was killed just after my second year uh, in uh, working at the CIA. Uh, but, you know, uh, as I read about this, and I read too, uh, James Douglas's book, JFK and the Unspeakable, is the most well-researched. Um, it it pre- benefits, benefits from all the previous research that's gone in. It's about 12 years old now. It's far and away the best account of why the deep state did Kennedy in. And it's uh, very clear to me that that's why they won't. Uh, release the rest of the documents and why the CIA really is uh, all powerful. Here, here's the, uh, President Trump. Uh, it's about four years ago. Okay, he gets up on a Tuesday and he says, uh, "We're going to release, in accordance with congressional legislation, the rest of the CIA and FBI documents on Kennedy's assassination." That was nine o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he gets up and he says, we're not going to release the rest of those documents because the FBI and the CIA say that this would be uh, a danger to our national security. But we're going to revisit that in six months. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going, oh, God, how, how clear how clear could it? So anyhow, I made a little note in my notebook and six months later, I inquired. Nobody remembered. <laughs> the press didn't remember. The press is, is very, very subservient to the intelligence establishment. And so, you know, maybe somebody else remembered. I did, but they didn't do it. And they're still not doing it. Now, you don't have to be a detective to say, I wonder why the hell the CIA and the FBI won't release the rest of those documents. I think you don't need a leap of imagination to figure out why no yeah well poppy's dead now so that was probably one of the reasons but i would imagine there's still some guys alive that maybe need to kick the bucket before it all comes out i don't think it'll ever come out i think it'll just be destroyed 
which again points to what it is. It's, you know, by default, it kind of answers that question, but I don't really, no, I don't see Biden standing up to them. I mean, they are, you know, it is my belief that, that Trump, Trump was removed. I think what we saw, and again, this is my opinion. I, I do think that there was a massive election fraud. I don't know. I might be wrong. I'm open to the idea. Got to stay humble. But I think what we saw in November 2020 was, I think we saw the business end of the CIA that the rest of the world's been seeing for six, seven decades. Guatemala, the the the, the Shahs, uh, all the all the the Southeast Asian companies. I think we saw the business end of a well lubed and pre-planned all the all the uh, all the battleground states freeze at the same time the media comes out in lockstep all with the same thing one of the reasons one that was one of my first suspensions from youtube when i started this podcast they all immediately have the little blue tag the ap has not called the election yet as more time gets between now and then i look back at it i'm like oh we saw we saw the machine that we've been using for decades across the world. That that's just my two cents. Obviously, I don't know if it's true. I have no way to to, to prove it. But I well, think you have a little, uh, uh, you have a good bit of evidence now. Yeah, uh, we know that when uh, Hunter Biden's laptop, oh, yeah. misinformation. It's Russian disinfo. Yeah, you know. It's quite amazing. And there's one guy, John Cipher, sort of a cipher. Uh, uh, he pretends to be one of these CIA senior officers. And he says, oh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad we, we helped uh, get rid of Trump. You know, uh, that's everybody. But what did they do? Well, <laughs> Hunter's laptop was legit. Um, the FBI knew that. But the idea was we got to get rid of Trump, right? And so we'll say it's illegit. And who will we appeal to to say this? Well, let's make, let's get 50 or so. Let's get 51, sound a little better. 51 former intelligence senior officials to say, we don't have any evidence, but this is consistent with Russian disinformation operations. Now, I don't know if that affected the election any. I suppose it did. But, uh, you know, that's pretty glaring. You have the CIA happy, alumni, I suppose, uh, but happy to participate in this thing. And there were some people on that list of 51 One of whom I won't mention his name. He knows which end is up. He's been in, he's had a lot of integrity, and yet, and it's a matter of being excluded from the big luncheons or the big dinners. You know, you don't want to you don't want to leave the brotherhood completely. You know, and so he, he let his name be on that thing. So, so okay, so there's that, and then there's the the twenty sixteen thing. Uh, now, I should say, my, my wife always says, Ray, please always mention what you think of Trump. And since, you know, this is opinion, as you express your opinion, my opinion is that Trump was the very worst president the United States has ever had. He was a, he, even worse than George Bush. Now, I don't want to argue about that. No, no, I'm saying I, I, I liked him, but I also 
understand he was a dumpster fire. So this is where I'm coming from now. Yeah. How about what happened in, 19, in 2016? The whole Russia Gate thing was manufactured. Manufactured by whom? By the slick lawyers who worked for Hillary Clinton. And one of his name is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sullivan. Jake Sullivan. Uh, what's he now? Oh, he's the national, he's the assistant to the president for national security. Uh, so, you know, all this is coming out in dribs and drabs in court documents. It's very clear that these well-heeled lawyers have been, you know, were fabricated with this whole legend about Russia uh, being very much in with Trump to include the, the celebrated business about Russian hacking of the Democratic National Committee. Now, I happen to know a lot about that because I followed it very closely and wrote about it extensively. What happened? Well, if you're, your people are willing to listen to a little rundown of what happened, I'll, I'll give it to you. Uh, Hillary was doing okay, but not really well before the Democratic National Convention, where she was supposed to be a shoo-in. She had marginalized Bernie Sanders. They had stacked the primaries against him. And all of a sudden, on the 12th of June, 2016, Julian Assange of WikiLeaks announces we have emails relating to Hillary Clinton, which we're going to publish. Whoa. So Hillary goes to Jake Sullivan, her campaign manager, and says, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> if he's got emails that show that we marginalized or that we actually stole the nomination from Bernie Sanders, what's that going to do? Holy what are we going to do? See? So... When was the convention? The convention was on the 22nd, I think, is when it started of July. So here, middle of June, July, they got maybe six weeks to figure out what to do. Now, my, this is speculation, but my notion is they got around the table, you know, and uh, Hillary says, what are we going to do here? How are we going to attenuate the bad effects of, of the release of these documents? He's probably going to do it. Julia Assange probably going to do it before the convention. What do we do? And Jake Sullivan or one of those other young fellows says, I, I got an idea. Hillary, what? Blame it on the Russians. Jake, it wasn't the Russians. It was WikiLeaks. Somebody leaked the thing to WikiLeaks. Look, doesn't matter. We blame it on the Russians. We hate WikiLeaks. We hate the Russians just as much. Blame it on the Russians and divert attention, divert attention from what was in those emails. Mm. Those emails, if if the worst comes out, shows that you stole the nomination. Well, let's just say the Russians, the Russians, the Russians why the Russians? And then people won't even look at the emails. Yeah. Work like a charm. Now, just to finish this part up, on December 5 of 2017, so right after the election, the head of the cyber firm hired by James Comey of the FBI to find out who hacked into the DNC computers and, and, 
and hacked those emails, testified in court under oath and said, we've looked really closely at all this and we found out that nobody hacked into those emails. There's no technical evidence at all that anyone hacked into those emails. Uh, it would be consistent uh, with previous Russian practice, but there's no technical evidence. That's the 5th of December, 2017. Did anyone tell Robert Mueller, who was deep into his investigation? Well, of course they told him. So why didn't he why didn't he get that part at least out of the investigation? No, no. He went with the story, you know. Now, what happened? How do I know that? On the 7th of May, 2020. So do the math. December 2017. Now May 2020, one of Trump's loyal intelligence persons says to Adam Schiff, head of the House Intelligence Committee, look, yeah, you haven't released that testimony. Uh, you know, if you don't release it tomorrow, we're going to release it. So Schiff releases it. When did I say? The 7th of May, 2020. So what's today? Today is what? Almost April 2000. March 30th, 2022. So the, the New York Times which hasn't said a word about this, is going for the record. I mean, Schiff's got the record of, I don't know how many months, 26 or so months, and the, the Times is only up to 22. <laughs> I mean, hello, this disproves all the stuff about Russian hacking. And we had, it, we had it named because we knew from a technical point of view with our three very senior NSA analysts who are with our veteran intelligence professionals for sanity, they said it couldn't have been a hack. It couldn't have been a hack. And we said that on December 12th, 2016, and we proved it by including as charts, attachments, some of the slides that Edward Snowden brought out into Hong Kong. I mean, we, tr we showed the trace routes. We showed that it was, if, if, if NSA didn't have any evidence of hacking, ipso facto, there was no evidence of hacking. Now, the uh, testimony by the head of CrowdStrike, if you want to look them up, what's his name? Sean Henry. Uh, look it up. Uh, but don't expect to find in New York Times, the Washington Post. It's been deep sixed. And so everybody keeps saying about Russian hacking. Keeps, so <laughs> long story short, yes, they tried mightily to prevent Trump from becoming president. Now, how did they think they could get away with it? Well, James Comey, the head of the FBI, says in his book, I was operating on the premise that Hillary Clinton was a shoo-in for the, for the nomination. Well, if you're operating on that premise, and you play fast and loose with the law, uh, but she gets elected. Well, <laughs> somebody going to prosecute you. No, no, they're going to give you, a, they'll let you stay as FBI director, yeah. you know? So, you know, it's pretty easy to understand why they did it. That they did it is really awful. And so on that case, 
uh, Trump is quite quite correct in saying this was, uh, well, in my view, an unprecedented uh, operation by the security services, FBI, as well as CIA and parts of the Justice Department to make sure, A, Trump didn't win, and then when he did win, to make sure that he was emasculated, that he couldn't do anything with respect to, oh, improving ties with Russia? I mean, hello, what would that mean for the Mickey Mouse? The Mickey Mat needs an enemy, a plausible enemy. And what could be better than the Russians that they already dehumanized by blaming them for Trump? I mean, what's, in my view, there's very few things worse than blaming anybody uh, for President Trump. Um, and that's my personal view. So so the, the deep state is real. The deep state has gotten away with, well, if you include Kennedy. Seth, Rich. Uh, and Seth Rich, murder. They get away with murder. And uh, that, of course, is speculation on my part, but I can cite all kinds of evidence that they're hiding it. The FBI has violated the Freedom of Information Act uh, like countless times on on, uh, on Seth Rich. So uh, that's a little bit of a digression, but at least I, I think people need to know that in my view, um, even though uh, you may not like President Trump, he was quite right in how they tried to prevent him from being elected and then just sort of tried to make him uh, powerless after he became elected. And he ended up doing things vis-a-vis uh, Russia. For example, leaving the intermediate nuclear forces treaty in 2019 that was a treaty that abolished that destroyed missiles already in place ss-20s in russia and persian shoes yeah yeah in western europe i mean i never would have thought that, that was possible but with the reduction in warning time you know from 20 35 minutes to maybe 10 that people, sensible people said, hey, let's get rid of those things. We don't need them. Yeah. yeah. And friends of mine, Scott Ritter and others, they went and supervised in the Soviet, in Russia, the destruction of these things. And there were Russians that came to us and supervised, or came to Western Europe and supervised the destruction. So now those things can be worked out. Uh, why Trump was led to do that? You know, he's been, I don't know, but maybe he wanted to show how strong it was against Russia. And that's the danger of, of uh, sort of egging, uh, yeah. sort of egging people on to show how strong they are. I just hope that Biden keeps his faculties long enough uh, to prevent those kinds of people from egging him on to doing something really stupid in, um, uh, in Ukraine. I think it's, I, I do think it's important that you point out that you're, you're no Trump fan. I've talked about in this podcast before, I like Trump, but I think it's good to point out that you don't because it doesn't make it any... Listen, if I think the election was stolen from Biden, even though I didn't vote for him, I, I can honestly say I'd sit here saying it was taken from Biden because what you realize is this is much bigger than Democrat-Republican. This is the acknowledgement of an unelected elite, a power structure who temporarily aligns with your own beliefs and so we can cheer him on as the good and get rid of trump any way you can well that same power structure is now going to drag you in a world war three 
and you've you've by you have passively given it your approval by not questioning an election. And if we saw what happened in 2016, and time and time again, it takes a couple of years with some couple months on top of it to see the disinformation coming out as fact. I mean, I was permanently banned from YouTube for my many interviews with Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough for claims that they made that are now coming out to be, oh, the CDC saying, oh, sorry, that that was true. Oops, we accidentally did do that. But it doesn't matter. The damage is done. And people look at the same media uh, amalgamation that told us about the need to go into Iraq, the same media amalgamation that said the Russians took the 2016 election, the same the same media amalgamation that said nothing fishy went on in 2020. They're now telling and the same one that told us that, hey, there's nothing wrong with these vaccines at all. These doctors who have the patents for inventing them, they're just talking out of their ass. Trust Big Pharma. That same media group is now looking you dead in the eyes and saying, we need to establish a no-fly zone in Ukraine, even if it takes a couple tech nukes. That's right. You know, I, <laughs> as you know, I, I come from the Bronx, right? Uh-huh. And so we used to say, well, I'll give you a for instance. You want a for instance? Yeah. Okay. Here's a for instance. The neocons, the Wolfowitzes and the Joe Liebermans and the, the uh, pro-Israeli and pro-violence folks within our administration, uh, very much wanted the U.S. to get involved in an overt war to remove Bashar al-Assad from power in Damascus. And so they funded and they raised, the, well, they, they trained these very suspicious characters, many of them tied to Al-Qaeda, uh, to try to overthrow that government. And it wasn't really working out real well. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> the government was claiming back territory uh, hand over fist. Now, we're talking 2012-2013, okay? Now, what happened? Well, Chuck Todd was in a press conference with President Obama. And President Obama had talking points, and he said, under no circumstances will I allow U.S. armed forces overtly to intervene in Syria. Chuck Todd was given a little piece of paper. And uh, at the very end, uh, he said, Mr. President. Yes, Chuck. Yes, said Chuck. Um, Mr. President, are there... Are there no circumstances under which you would allow U.S. forces to be overtly involved? And then, as if he finally reminded himself, Obama said, oh, yes, there is. Yeah, there is. Um, If chemical weapons were used, (laughs) even if chemical weapons were, were moved around in Syria, that would be a red line. I would have to change my assessment. I will change my calculus. Bear in mind, August 20, 2012. One year forward, August 21, 2013, (laughs) as a chemical attack outside of Damascus, a little place called Ghouta, blamed on Bashar al-Assad, Bashar (laughs) al-Assad. John Kerry got up three days later 
and said, Bashar al-Assad did it. How many times did Kerry say that? No fewer than 35 times you can count them, okay? Now, so there was the red, the, the red line violated, the neocons were gonna get their war, right? So Obama's betwixt and between, by that time, he doesn't want to start another war. I mean, you know, that's a sensible thing, all right? He already sunk millions and maybe a billion dollars in this insurgency to, to dethrone Pasha al-Assad. Uh, it didn't. As a matter of fact, Pasha al-Assad was moving. So there was no incentive on Assad's part to use chemical weapons. And to their credit, my former colleagues in the CIA for once told it straight and said, <laughs> this smells to high heaven, okay? Yeah. In fact, General Clapper, who was not known for his uh, credibility, or his, yeah, <laughs> he goes to... Uh, to uh, Obama during that critical week at the end of August 2013. It says, you know, this is not a slam dunk. Uh, John Kerry, uh, he knows a lot about uh, driving boats up the Mekong. Uh, <laughs> tactical, but he doesn't know much. So it's not a slam You understand what I mean? Not a slam dunk. Okay. Now, that was the last week in October. What happens? I'm outside the White House, right? with about 300 other people saying, no war on Syria, no war on Syria. It's a Saturday. Obama has a press conference just over the fence. He's had to delay it because what made it so noisy, okay? And then word comes from the press conference, he's not going to attack Syria. We could, I was the next speaker. <laughs> I said, if this is true, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, it was true. As a matter of fact, President Obama said, Maybe he remembered that he was a, a, a professor of constitutional law. You know? He said, well, you know, we're going to ask Congress what they, what they think about this. And already the British Parliament had voted no. Okay, so Obama says, we're not going to do it. Now, what did that do to the neocons? They were livid, okay? Kerry gets up the next Monday before the Senate uh, Foreign Relations Committee, says the same thing about Bashar al-Assad, Bashar al-Assad did it. And then Obama is going off to St. Petersburg uh, for one of these economic summits, a G8 or whatever it was. And Putin takes him aside. This is the first week of September now. And he says, look, uh, President Obama, uh, we recognize the dilemma you're in. We don't want a war in Syria either, but we have persuaded the Syrians to destroy all their chemical weapons. There's old things left over from, from Soviet days. We're gonna, they are going to destroy them, and if you're amenable to this, they will destroy them on a U.S. ship specifically outfitted for such chemical destruction, and we'll do it under U.N supervision. What do you think, Mr. Obama? <laughs> yeah? Uh, well, tomorrow uh, the, the Syrian foreign minister is going gonna, is gonna to announce this, so tune in tomorrow. Well, he announced it the next day. Obama goes, I don't have to start a war anymore. This is... Now, how did the neocons relax, react to that? I know because I was on the top 
of the CNN building, very fancy building in the middle of Washington, D.C., for a separate interview that evening, okay? And I come out of my little booth there. I was talking with CNN International out of London, and I opened the door. Oh, and I knocked over this little fella. I said, oh, I'm sorry. It was Paul Wolfowitz. Now I said to myself, thank you, Jesus, for my training in nonviolence. <laughs> it took a lot of training for me to avoid what I want to do to Paul Wolfowitz, right? And then right next to him was Joe Lieberman. And they were watching the boob tube. And they're watching people, uh, their, their talking heads saying, what a coward. Obama was. What a coward not to do what he did. They went the red line and they went through the he's not going to do it. And then Wolfowitz and Lieberman go into a fancier booth that I was in and it's across from the elevators. Okay. Yeah. What do I say all that? Well, I went and stood in that very ornate bank of elevators until I came out. And I took the copy of my constitution out and I ripped out the page that has Article 1, Section 8, uh, Paragraph 11, which says only Congress can author war. war. Yeah. And uh, Lieberman and, uh, and Wolfowitz said, said no, Congress said that. We, we, that's arcane. That's absolutely. So I underlined it. And then they came out. It was a great scene. I, I was dressed to the bill. You know, I was being interviewed too, right? Not like I look now. So I said, Paul. Um, uh, <laughs> Paul Joe, uh, Ray McGovern. Now, you have to know the Washington scene to realize that you can't forget somebody you should know, even though you may not remember his name, but I look decent enough to say, oh, Ray, Ray, how are you? I said, well, I'm good, except I can't believe uh, you klutzes don't know what the Constitution of the United States is. Well, what do you mean, klutzes? Well, here, I, Joe, uh, Paul, will you hold on for a second? <laughs> Paul was slinking away. Joe, here's Article 1, Section 8. Please take it home, read it, and then really, how long have you been in the Senate? 22, 24 years? I forget. But, you know, you ought to read the Constitution. Well, remember, just then, the six-foot, beautiful redhead who's supposed to protect Joe and Paul from the likes of me <laughs> appears, and she says, oh, Paul, oh, Joe, I'm so sorry. And so I looked at her, I said, you know, I'm really sorry, too. You let these klutzes on, these clowns, and they don't know the Constitution. Well, I went down from there, and suffice it to say, <laughs> CNN doesn't invite me anymore. <laughs> it's not even CNN International. What do I say all that? I say all that because these guys wanted their war, right? And they wanted to use this red, red line thing. Now, <laughs> Chuck Todd two Sundays ago, is interrog interrogating. He's interviewing the head of NATO, Stoltenberg. Now, Stoltenberg doesn't say anything that he hasn't already approved of the United States. And I can't realize that he was unprepared for this question. But Chuck Todd says, well, you know, there's a no-fly zone. Biden says we can't do that. And, but, but, you know, um, uh, Mr. Stoltenberg, if there were a chemical attack, uh, would that be a red line? 
uh, if there were a chemical attack, uh, would that uh, would that change the calculus of NATO and the U.S. Uh, chemical attack? <laughs> he says it three times, and Stoltenberg not prepared. He's not the sharpest blade in, in the drawer, you know. But he, he circumlocuted around the whole thing. But there you go, the same guy, Chuck Todd, trying to work from the Mickey Mouse notes how you undercut the president of the United States who doesn't want a war and you propel him into a war by a false flag chemical attack. Last thing I'll say on that is that I'm not making this up. When the defense minister of Russia, Sergei Shoigu, gave his State of the Union address, gave his State of the Armed Forces address, very formal thing, annual on the 22nd of December, it was a very general treatment of the preparedness of the Russian armed forces. But then at the end, he put in this paragraph. He says, you know, we know that there are 120 Americans in Donbass, uh, in those eastern provinces, uh, Russian-speaking and some of the Russian citizens. Uh, we know they're there. They're practicing uh, uh, for warfare. And uh, there are... 120 of them, they're contractors, but they're American contractors, and they're very close to chemical agents, very close to chemical agents. Now, that's all he says. But to insert a little piece of intelligence into a major speech of this kind was had to be considered significant that at the time. But what he was saying was, look, we know what's going on. If you want to mount, mince, if you want to mount some kind of chemical incident and blame it on us, we're going on record now as saying, well, we know there are 120 of you in there and that you're very close to chemical agents. I still think it's possible. Uh, why? Because the Ukrainians are really taking it on the chin. You can't believe CNN. You can't believe BSNBC. It's BS. Uh, the Russian army is about to take charge of that, uh, what they call cauldron, uh, inside of which was most of the Nazi-led Azov Battalion and other people. They're about to do that. They don't care about Kiev anymore as long as they prevented uh, Ukrainian forces from coming from Kiev. So that's what's going to happen. So what I'm saying here is that uh, there may be a desperate attempt to get Biden to change his calculus, right? And that would come, in my view, from a chemical attack, which Chuck Todd at least says should be a red line, just like he said in August of 2012, should have been a red line. I got the president to say that. So you get. The, the media mousetrapping presidents and uh, Biden is easily mousetrapped. Uh, Witness the fact that the first thing he said about Putin in in response to a innocent question from <laughs> George Stephanopoulos, who's one of the worst. Uh, Mr. President, you think you think Putin's the killer? <laughs> it's a, oh, yeah, 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 he's a killer. Now he's a monster. Now he should be removed from office. And now he's several other epithets that one president really shouldn't use against another 
it's not only un de rigueur, it's mischievous because if you have to end up talking to this guy, it really doesn't help to have been to have called him a war criminal. It's it seems like we're marching right into that. Um let me one sec. For now, I have to wrap this one up because I have another guest coming in. Um, Mr. McGovern, Ray, I would love to have you on again to talk about the developments in Ukraine. I should have scheduled us a longer time period for today. Would you be willing to do another episode? Yeah, sure. Uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that uh, those viewers, uh, such as they are, would would, uh, would like this alternative view that you won't find on BSNBC or uh, CNN or or any of those controlled uh, media things. And what worries me is that uh, you really have to make the effort to yeah. tune in to places like, like yours, uh, or else you're just deluged by this propaganda and you really don't know what's going on. And so you end up being malnourished on real information, which is what Eisenhower warned could do our democracy do our demo- democracy in if they if people are not given um the right information so i applaud you in doing this and sure i'd be be happy to come back thank you sir yeah you have to be willfully ignorant at this point with an abundance of information that was wildly that was wildly insightful and i look forward to having you on again thank you so much sir i will send you an email when this is up and I will email you today and we'll schedule the next one. Okay, good. Thank, Thank you. you, Mr. McGovern. Thank you so much, sir.